Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stall 7 Old Two Worlds AUDL podcast. This is Alex Rubin alongside Brian Jones, and we are right in the thick of the playoffs. We had a fantastic first weekend last week, and we're looking forward to four more exciting divisional championship games coming up this weekend. Um, let's just get right into it. Brian, what was the most exciting thing you saw this weekend? I think the first quarter of Philadelphia versus DC was pretty awesome. It was it was great to see Philly come out and just ripping hucks and enjoying the hot bird summer. And then, uh, you know, it kind of went how we thought it would go after that. But that first quarter was uh, was bliss. Yeah, I'll, um, I guess first we should maybe just do a quick rundown of the score. Uh, DC ends up beating Philadelphia 23-18. Although the game was, like you said, pretty close for most of the first half. Um, in other action in the Central, uh, Minnesota took down Indianapolis 20-18. to And in a, it's a wild back-and-forth game, uh, Salt Lake beat San Diego 19-16. Uh, but let's start, like you said, in, Phil- uh, in DC, actually, uh, with the Phoenix and the Breeze facing off. And I mean, really, it was, it was a, a fairly close game. If you look at the, the way the scores lined up, I don't think the outcome was ever really in doubt. Uh, DC went on a, a 3 nothing run midway through the second, peri- uh, second period, second quarter. Uh, that opened up what had been a close game, and, and Philadelphia never really had enough uh, juice to come back. Um, it sort of felt like the whole game, like they were punching up above their weight class a little bit. Um, and I, I think, you know, this, this game obviously a disappointing outcome uh but the season has to be a success for the phoenix even just getting to this point yeah i think it's a really good rookie campaign for coach roger chu um philadelphia looked kind of different from the start of the season and i think having some two pieces were really vital i think jordan ryan um really helped them stabilize in the backfield and then of course james pollard was explosive in his playmaking ability but you just saw you know, more depth on this team than you had in years past, more playmaking ability than you had in years past. And they got over the hump against some of the mid-tier competition against the East and had some opportunities to uh, take down DC. And if those two games go differently, you could be looking at eight and four Philadelphia and eight and four DC, and then maybe a home game in Philadelphia. And at the end of the day, I don't know that that would have made the difference, but there was this identity. There was an excitement. There was a pretty nice crowd that came down, an entire section of fans for Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, you have to label the season a su- success for them. Yeah, definitely. I was about to bring up the fans too. It seemed like there was just a general, like generally stronger sense of commitment from the Phoenix this year. And I mean, easy to compare them to, to Boston or Montreal that didn't really have that this year, whether the world's year and then, you know, different situation from last summer um it seems like philadelphia really used 2021 as a launching pad for a better 2022 and i'm sure they hope to build to an even better 2023 um in a way that the teams around them um weren't able to do Um, and i think philadelphia is also leaving this game with some you know notable things to work on looking ahead i mean going but scoring one break the entire playoff game on just five chances um you know not a great look um in a tough eastern conference where uh you know, you have to take advantage of the few chances that you get, or you have to generate a lot of chances. It seems like Philadelphia didn't really do either one of those in this game. Um, and, you know, you mentioned James Pollard, who had a fantastic, amazing, really, breakout season, switching over to the offense for the first time, and sort of has that big playability, and also has the ability to throw six turnovers in a playoff game. Um, and, you know, punched in five scores. Can't take that away. Um, but I think the Phoenix, you know, hit their ceiling for this year and have some things to work on in the off season that will make their ceiling higher for 2023. Yeah. It it was really interesting. And thinking about James Pollard's path forward, it's one of those things where, you know, he's come from being a defensive playmaker and you see this where people get put in a box and they're seen as athletic. And then you get this opportunity to go out and be a big thrower. And I think for James Pollard's growth moving forward, it's, it's going to be about picking his spots more. And in order to do that, you need to have a team around you that you can trust to move the disc. And one of the things that was tough about this Philadelphia team, because I was thinking about how could you have redesigned them to be better? How could you make the configure the talent that's on there to be better? And there's definitely some things you can do. I think they can make the score closer. I don't know that they could have surmounted DC without adding a few more pieces, like in a very easy way. 
or should I say make it where it was a game they'd be the favorite. But for, for Pollard, he's taking these shots partially because the offense needs him to. And the other side of it, there's an element of the offense needs to learn how to work their way and grind through possessions a little bit more against this type of defense they're going to see in the East if they want to advance further. Because when DC, and this is what was shocking about the opening part of the game, was DC knew that Philly just wanted to throw hucks deep, and they didn't do anything to stop it. And yes, it was unsustainable, but still it was too easy early on. It was still Philadelphia's plan A, and DC said, well, you want to go deep? Why not? And as soon as DC made Philadelphia play end zone offense, you started to see the wheels come off a little bit. And I think there was one key possession, and I believe it was in the second quarter. Uh, Philly just had to work it around, work it around in the end zone, multiple dump swings, and eventually Sean Mott tried to connect with Greg Martin, and it just drifted out of bounds. And those are the types of possessions where I think Philly needs to get better at. If you can start grinding it out and knowing that you have the athletes, as soon as they're able to start grinding out those possessions, teams are going to have to respect the underneath again. And then the deep will open back up and you'll have this really balanced attack. So that's that's what I think the steps are for them and Pollard to take the next level is, is figuring out how to pick their spots and grind out possessions more. Oh, sounds like a plan you heard it here first from a coach of a team who's quite good at that. Uh, looking at, at New York Pony in the club division can uh, run an end zone set. How long do you think you could run a continuous end zone set for? Like 20 minutes? <laughs> no. No, not at all. It'd be fun though. I think the the defense will try to try to make the offense go. Uh, you know, we had uh, some some practices this this year where we were trying to make um, from half field on just more than twenty throws occur, and it's it's really challenging to do against a really elite offense. Uh, yep, uh, that's that's fair. Um, so let's let's shift over now to the I guess elite offense. Uh, you know, DC completes ninety seven percent of their passes has. Uh, what just eight turnovers for the game which I actually don't know the stats pulled up it has to be among their season lows Uh, and it seems like just like we predicted heading into the game that they'll be hitting their stride at the perfect time Uh, what are the big takeaways for you from DC from this game yeah it's funny that they only had a season low eight turnovers but if you would ask me about five minutes into the first quarter I would have been very worried about this DC offense because they they seemed like they were just throwing whatever they wanted to and as quickly as possible. And there were some floaters from Rowan right off the bat uh, that led to some turnovers that Philly did nothing with. Philly left two bright chances on the table. But through after that point, DC's offense was pretty darn untouchable. Some A few mistakes here and there, but nothing that was structural or consistent. And that handler attack is just really fun to watch because for me, I'm thinking about how would I game plan against this how how would i take this down and it's just going to require a really great effort from an opposing defense and dc knows how to take what you're giving them over and over and over again their breakthroughs are are really incredible and they got really good performances from some of their depth players knopf and uh wartenby and they were doing a really good job of filling in uh this DC offense is is hitting a stride, and they were they they're they are where they need to be going into New York. For sure, I mean, look, you'd like Rowan to have fewer than four turnovers, um, but Johnny Mog, Shocknison in the backfield are are making things happen. Uh, Tyler Monroe coming back this season, he had three goals, three assists in this game. Same with the Boxley with two assists and four goals. This this DC offense, you know, is pretty versatile, and we talked about this even going back to last season, um, and really showed it in this first round that they're like going to take the best ever to stop. And obviously New York's done it and we'll have a, you know, a chance later to talk about that game. Um, but it, DC hitting their stride at the perfect time right now, it seems like, and it'll be really, really interesting to see how they continue it looking ahead to this week. Uh, so let's move on now to the central division game. Uh, we had Minnesota taking down Indianapolis and uh, it seems like if you put Minnesota in the D.C. spot and Indianapolis in the Philadelphia spot, it seems like a fairly similar game. Where Minnesota jumps out to an early 5-2 to two lead and doesn't really look back. Indy puts up a fight, makes it close. You know, This is a one-point game mid towards the end of the third quarter. Um, at the end of the day, Indianapolis just didn't have enough, uh, whether it's depth, whether it's talent. 
um, to take down this full Minnesota squad that, like DC, started hitting on all cylinders. So, Brian, what are your big takeaways from this game? Yeah, I think Indianapolis, with a tough season with some injuries early on, you know, we had a, there was a lot of doubters, including uh, a few on this pod. And for them to come that close, they were they had the disc with a chance to bring it within one in the fourth quarter. And anytime you're in that position, you feel like you're a few pieces away. And, and it really seemed that way. And it's kind of hard to tell after watching this game, you know, I think kudos to Indianapolis for, for making this close and giving the, putting their best game forward. But it's really hard to judge Minnesota. It's really hard to understand, is this team ready to win the Central and then possibly go to championship weekend and upset somebody or play a really competitive game against someone? They have all this talent, but they're not really crushing people when it comes time to do it. And that's always kind of tough to read because I think you have to understand the mental state of a team. If I'm Minnesota, I'm probably walking into that game really confident and knowing, you know what, we just, we need to get out of here and survive this. And then we're going to focus on Chicago. And, and that's probably good enough. But we didn't see the like decisive victory or the moments where it was like they, they, they just hammered Indianapolis into the ground. And I got to wonder, can they do that against Chicago? What does this mean moving forward? And it's kind of inconclusive. Yeah. Look, I mean, first of all, like, just congrats to the Winchell for their first ever playoff win. I think they had five chances um, and they lost those previous five games. Um, so I agree it wasn't quite as dominant as you might expect from this matchup. And especially, I think both of us really looked at Minnesota as, as a preseason favorite and Indy not quite at this point. And even though Indianapolis had a better season than we expected and put up a good fight in this game, I, I would have picked Minnesota to win by more than two. Uh well, that's what the spread was. The spread was gigantic to open up. Right, right? It was uh, four and a half, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, part of me, I mean, watching this game, I, I don't think there is, if I'm Minnesota, I'm not upset. I don't feel like we should have won this game by more. I think they had the game securely in control and weren't at risk of losing it. Um, and maybe there's another level they can reach. And if they save that for next week, great i think converting seven of ten d-line chances is fantastic dare i say elite uh maybe would have liked to see a few more turnovers forced but even so forcing 15 turnovers in a playoff game is significant 13 of 16 in the red zone i i don't know how much more this minnesota team has to give if that makes sense i think what's most impressive to me is they held keegan north to just 16 completions now he did have four assists and three goals. And I know India's strategy was to have him start downfield and to keep, um, you know, Carter Ray and Lucas Canaris in the backfield a little bit more. But I think when you hold an opposing team's best player to just 16 throws in a game like this and a game that they should have been pulling out all the stops to try to win. To me, that's a win. I mean, obviously they ended up winning the game also, um, but if they can do something similar um, in their defensive game plan next week, I mean, look, Chicago has, more than one great player, but if you can hold Pavel to you know as as limited touches as possible, if you can hold Joe White and Paul Arters to fewer touches and force a disc to the players who you want making throws, I think Minnesota's in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I think it's interesting to to look at that, and that's a really good game plan. You're right to limit Keegan North to 16 touches. He has historically been an engine of an offense, and that's a really good defensive performance in that way. It, it it just felt like Indianapolis was like kind of hanging around within striking distance. And it's one of those things where you're really judging a team harshly in these moments because you're, you're expecting greatness out of them. There's a lot of hype around this roster. There has been the entire year and you gotta, you gotta wonder about what's going on. But that's the thing is, is we, without being on the inside, you're just speculating. And so I, I think you're right. You know, first playoff win for Minnesota, they, they survive in advance. That's really all you need. And to perform the game plan that well, it's a clear sign of an intentional strategy. And now they have a tougher challenge. So they did it once and we'll see if they can do it again. Yeah, we, uh, we sure will. Um, let's move out West. Um, our, our third first round playoff game uh, was probably the most uh, back and forth exciting of the three Salt Lake uh, in their first ever playoff game, just like in their first ever game, uh, beats the San Diego Growlers. And 
I don't even think this one was quite as close as the scoreline indicated. San Diego went up 2-0 early, uh, and then Salt Lake scored the next six goals, and that was almost a full quarter of play. (laughs) It it took them, uh, I think it was a little more than 12 minutes before San Diego ended up scoring again, uh, a little more than halfway through the second quarter. Um, And from that point on, yeah, Salt Lake was up 6-3 and was pretty much able to ride it out. It did get a little bit closer. Uh, It was within one point of the start of the third quarter, and then Salt Lake went on another 5-0 run that took eight minutes of game clock, and that was, uh, you know, they were able to withstand anything that San Diego threw since uh, or after that. So, interesting game. It was a new stadium uh, for Salt Lake, uh, a little more windy than we had seen before, Um, and Salt Lake was pretty fearless um, in that. Uh, We saw lower completion percentages, more turnovers in this game than the other two combined. Um, but Salt Lake's able to hold on. Um, anything surprise you from this game, Brian? I think the third quarter was the most surprising. You saw it wasn't surprising too much that San Diego was going to kind of take the punch from Salt Lake. And, you know, when you first see the score, San Diego goes up 2 nothing. You're like, oh, that's great. And then Salt Lake goes up 6-2, and you're like, oh, interesting. Maybe Salt Lake will run away with this. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's 10-9 at one point. And... You're thinking, okay, San Diego, the veteran, you know, savviness is coming in and you come into the second half. And then it's just haymaker after haymaker from Salt Lake. And it looked like San Diego just got really wobbly. And you watch that third quarter and it just gets away from them. Missed tuck opportunities, execution errors, just dropping the disc. And Salt Lake wasn't perfect throughout that. It was a windy game, but Salt Lake was kind of built for it and just ready to keep on punching and keep on going. And it was just too much for San Diego. This is something we talked about, right? Which was like, what are the signs of how this game's going to go? Who does it favor? And, you know, Charlie Eisenhood on the predictions podcast with us last week was incredulous that he, this game could be in the teens. And that's where it ended up. And we thought it would signal a really good sign for San Diego. And instead, Salt Lake was just loving it because it was just a turnover fest and doesn't matter if they score the first time, they're going to get it back. There were so many multi-turnover points. Uh, it was sloppy, a lot of wind influence, but Salt Lake is kind of built for that game. They're the more athletic team. They're the ones more willing to play the ugly ball, meaning, and I say that not as a criticism, but as someone who loves ugly ultimate when it gets windy, um, that they they invested in the kind of the proper spots and were able to go on these gigantic runs that, Led them to take over the game, so it was it was interesting because you're trying to predict which way it's going to go, and you know, Alex, you picked San Diego as uh, one of the you know, I, did you pick them to win? I think at the beginning of this year, and yeah, the, I think I did at the beginning of the year. I, I picked Salt Lake in this game last week. Uh, here yeah, me. but just just to make the point right, which is like there's a lot of veteran talent on that San Diego team, and it was just the young bucks. That just completely took over. It just was too overwhelming. And you got to wonder what this means for San Diego moving forward. We know what it means for Salt Lake, but they just, the, you know, the young Mike Tyson came in and just punched out San Diego and it was just too much to handle. Yeah, look, it seems like San Diego needs to practice on the beach more where it's windy. <laughs> you look at uh, the top three uh, the players with the three most turnovers, the three players with the most turnovers. There we go. Um, we're all in San Diego in this game. Uh, San Diego is 5 of 13 on hucks, 10 for 21 on holds. Um, sorry, it's a, yeah, that's their hold percent. Uh, they only, that's less than 50% holds is, is just not good for a playoff team. Um, one bright spot for San Diego, uh, Sean McDougal with a three goal, two assist, four block performance in the loss. Um, but yeah, I think. San Diego didn't really seem to have the the same kind of like fight and energy that Salt Lake had, and maybe that's the first playoff game. Maybe that's playing in front of uh, an excited and full home crowd. Um, but I think the the show are really able to ride momentum better than the Growlers, and the Growlers, you know, sort of forced their own bad luck in a way that uh, we really haven't seen them do in recent seasons. Yeah. It's- I will always love the debate over momentum of whether or not it's real. I can know what I do know that's real is you can be demoralized as an offense. 
and I saw a demoralized offense midway through the third quarter. One that was just like, what are we doing? This isn't going right. I don't want to be here. And I'm not saying that that's what people are actively thinking, but it just becomes harder and harder to believe that you're going to win that game when you see the amount of mistakes you're making. And he kind of can just say, it isn't our day. Um, But I also think that, you know, that quote unquote momentum in Salt Lake's ability to ride it is because they're young and athletic. They're more, the more, they're the more athletic team. This game went the way it went, not because of Salt Lake riding momentum in my eyes. It went there because they were going to make big plays over and over again because that's what they do. That's how they're built. Uh, it's going to be a different story when they face a team that doesn't succumb to that punch and can take it and weather it. And then you're going to see the emotion kind of shift in a different way. For sure. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see how Salt Lake takes that that fearlessness uh, that they played with uh, into their next game uh, against Colorado. That was the only team they lost to twice this year. Um, and for San Diego, a uh, uh, disappointing end of their season. I think they really came into this year with um, high hopes after the previous two years. They went to championship weekend. And they knew they were going to get a tough fight from the expansion teams, but I, I, my guess is that they're, you know, pretty disappointed by this result. So lots for them to work on in the off season. Now that they know the challenge that they'll face ahead, looking to 2023. Uh, so that'll wrap up our recap segment. I will take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we will look at the four playoff games we have coming ahead. I will have Austin and Carolina in the South final, DC, New York in the East final, Salt Lake, Colorado out West and Minnesota, Chicago in the central. We'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back to stall seven. Alex and Brian here looking forward to discussing the four divisional championship games that we have coming up this weekend. And let's start with the South. Uh, this one's interesting. Austin Soul playing at the Carolina Flyers. Um, Carolina, of course, the defending league champions. Uh, but they haven't played together in about a month. Um, it'll be interesting to see just, just the way the schedule falls, if there's any signs of rust with them. Um, and, you know, Austin already beat them once this year. Of course, that was in Texas. Uh, but something that Carolina, you know, last year, I mean, they won the championship after going, I think it was like nine and four or something, nine and three in the regular season, something like that. Um, but definitely a bit of a hit. You know, I don't think they expect to lose to the soul in the regular season this year. Uh, I think Austin will uh, certainly be coming in confident and certainly be coming in with a good game plan um, to take down this Flyers team. Uh, what do you think will happen? Yeah, I think this is going to be a really exciting matchup because you are going to play a team that just has really nothing to lose in Austin Soul and has all the confidence in the world. They're playing with an energy that's infectious. They've been doing it all season, and their head coach is doing a great job of leading them through, uh, keeping them emotionally steady, knowing that they had to get the one win um, to really swing it in their favor to get the regular season playoff spot um, from Atlanta. Carolina's going to be the favorite. They deserve to be the favorite. I, I would pick them to win, but I don't think it's necessarily a sure thing. They have some question marks in the sense of injuries. Anders Jungs is coming back. He should be ready to play, but his status will be really important for this team, especially how deadly they can be in the red zone. And the other aspect of it is when Austin beat them, they, they kind of played a little bit of bully ball, the ability to throw it up, get 50-50s, and it's a high-variant strategy. And so... I think there's a world in which Austin finds a way to win this game. And I think it stays pretty close throughout most of it. Like I don't see Carolina blowing them out. That would be a pretty surprising result. But it wouldn't shock me for Carolina to build a lead, be up by three, be up by four, Austin to break, get another chance, be kind of close. But for Carolina to ride it out, um, I think that's likely where this game is. But Austin's going to have to find a way to make some big plays to keep themselves in it and just ride the wave uh, and try to throw some punches in different ways that they haven't done before. Yeah, so Carolina's coming in as a one and a half point favorite. I think I agree with you, though. I could see them like steadily building lead, maybe winning this game like 23-20, something like that. 
Um, I look at their roster here. That's an interesting point you brought up, like when you said that that Austin just will, will put it up, play some bully ball. I think this Flyers game day roster is has enough pieces to stop them. You have David Richardson, who didn't play in their loss to Austin. Uh, you have Jacob Fairfax, who's a great deep defender. You know, Charlie McCutcheon, who can make plays downfield. I I wouldn't worry too much if I was the Flyers. I think if they come out and play their typically strong offensive possession-based game, I don't think they'll be too challenged as much as no playoff game is ever easy. Uh, I think you know, if I'm Carolina, I'm treating this like a business trip. Right? And our job is to get to championship weekend. Doesn't need to be any harder than that. Um, and I think the Flyers will win close but comfortably. Yeah, it's probably going in that direction, but that's it's just interesting. There's a lot of big boys on this this Boston team, and you made the really good point about having Richardson back. Like he was I think he's crucial in these moments. Like you gotta have the the big guy being able to go up and guard the athletes and then he just kind of transforms the game. And yeah, it's really hard to concoct the scenario in which Austin for sure wins. Like, what levers can they pull? I think Jake Radak, the Radak, is having a really good season, but he doesn't seem like he's there yet to just like be unstoppable over the course of a game. And at the end of the day, if Carolina plays their best game and Austin plays their best game, Carolina wins. Plain and simple. Um, that this is the more talented team. We expect to see them at championship weekend. It would be surprising to see Carolina uh, go home or stay home rather in this case. It'd be surprising to see the upset. I wouldn't be shocked if it was close. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Carolina has to kind of pull out a one point victory late or is up by two and Austin has a chance with a disc to tie it up. Uh, but if Austin's ahead, that's going to be shocking. If Austin's up at the end of the third quarter, that's going to be a surprising result. And I don't expect to see that. For sure. I'll give you know, one more X factor before we move on to the other games. Uh, Trevor Lynch is coming back in this game. He hasn't played since uh, mid-June. And uh, he'll be an interesting character here. Um, you know, he played last season almost exclusively on the D-line. And then in the three games that he's played so far this season, um, in again, one in April, one in May, one in June, it was almost exclusively on offense. Uh, so I'm curious what role, uh, you know, coaches envision for him in this game uh, but he's another like big body defender who i think would make some some solid athletic plays downfield it could really limit that austin attack i think if the, he's out there on defense that's another sign or another uh, you know check mark on the carolina side for sure yeah let's move just uh, a little bit up the road drive up 95 to new rochelle um in in many ways the game of the week this one will be on uh fox sports uh, it got DC traveling to New York. Uh, we talked earlier about how good DC's offense looked against Philadelphia. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up against you know, a better defense in New York and a much better team in New York. Uh, we have Tyler Monroe is questionable for this game, um, as is David Bloodgood and Troy Holland for DC. It uh, looks like New York has their full strength roster, everyone healthy. Um, Brian, this this is it. This is the uh, this is the showdown. There are two teams that we each picked to win a championship. Uh, New York is favored right now by four and a half points, uh, which I think is a little high. Even though I would also have New York as a favorite in this game if I was setting the line. Um, I guess I'll start with this. You know, if you're DC, do you have a chance? And if so, what's your game plan? Well, you got to believe you have a chance going into it. And having a game plan here is going to be multifaceted because you got to find a way to get some cheap breaks. And by that, I mean, throw some things that New York has never seen that is going to work a couple times before New York adjusts, and then you're going to have to move on. There's not a game here where you see DC leading from start to finish and just doing the same strategy and just clamping down on the New York offense. This is too talented of a team for them to not figure it out, it seems that way. So it's going to take an outstanding performance from DC. It's going to hopefully these questionable players end up being healthy. And I think that it's going to be interesting because DC is just big enough, but they seem like they're missing a couple of D-line pieces to really make an impact. And what this is going to come down to is New York's depth is just too good. Good. It's just like, how are you going to survive the onslaught? You know, we saw DC had a season low, eight turnovers. 
They played well against New York earlier in the season, but I think that when you have Yacht on defense and you have everybody fresh and it's a must-win game, like New York knows this is coming. DC exists right now and is created to basically do one thing, try to beat New York. That is the only measure of success for this DC season. And it is really interesting at the end of the game, you had Philly and DC fans united in saying, be cheering, beat New York and trying to, to, you know, get them over the hump. But it's really hard to concoct a game plan or imagine a way in which DC wins this game that doesn't rely on somebody for multiple players from New York having bad games. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Full strength, this New York team is just simply too good top to bottom. And I, I'm really I'm thinking back to last season's playoff game, uh, the, the Empire playing against Atlanta, where they played Jack Williams and Ben Yacht. It was like 40 points in that game. Like, I, I don't think New York will have any trouble doing whatever it takes to win um, in, in the same way that I just don't think DC has quite the positional flexibility and quite the depth of talent that New York does to be able to do that. Uh, if, if I'm DC here, just like you said, I come up with a few funky defenses that I hope will steal me a few turns and I hope to have fewer than eight turnovers for the whole game. I think that's really the only way they can do it. Uh, you know, They'll need big games from players like AJ Merriman, Dorico Johnson, who've had quieter seasons. You know, Even someone like David Cranston, who I think is a really great defender. These are all great players who can all step up and make plays. I just don't know that we've seen it this season in the way that we have in years past. Yeah, they're going to have to take a step up, unquestionably. This, this defense is going to need to do something different than what they've been throughout the entirety of the season. The reality, and that's what's really interesting. We talked about headspaces before. Like, what is Minnesota feeling? What is DC feeling in these moments? And you know that Daryl Stanley is sitting there from the start of the season knowing that like the regular season games are almost preseason. You're that confident as DC, right? You can win every other game, make the playoffs. Sure, you'd like to beat New York in the regular season, get a home game. But ultimately, that doesn't matter as much as it does to figure out how do we plan out the season in this arc so that way we peak at the right time, so that way we throw the right things at the right time. And, you know, are they hiding things and maybe going to show some stuff they haven't shown in the regular season because they knew this game is the one that matters. And so it, it's just a really great opportunity as an underdog because this is your entire season as DC, but it's also you're going up against the juggernaut. It's not going to history is not going to judge you, judge you that harshly if you lose to this team. On the other hand, if New York were to lose this game, I think it would be one of the all-time, if not the all-time upset going into in the ADL. Like, could you pick a bigger upset in the history of the ADL? Maybe Toronto over Dallas in the 2017 semifinals, the first thing that came to mind. That is probably the the you know the other biggest upset. Dallas wasn't as dominant that year. They were still a dominant team, and you kind of expected them to win. Um, that Toronto team kind of was a flash in the pan during that weekend and found a way to really play well with Ben Burrell and Darren Wu. So, you know, what is it going to take? Is it going to be Rowan throwing all kinds of hucks? Is it going to be Johnny Malks going off in, in the right ways? Um, it, it's going to be difficult for DC. Definitely. I think they'll need some of their depth players to step up and, you know, steal a block out of nowhere. Something like that, right? Maybe it's. You know, maybe Daryl Stanley has a, a weird sideline trap that New York's never seen before, something like that. Um, but it is, it's going to take, yeah, both the level up and a, an element of surprise or trickery, I think, to be this team. And that's just the level that New York is at. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting how this game starts because if New York's primed and ready to go, they will just break right away and get going. But if they're kind of like seeing how the game feels and they're maybe on the little bit of the overconfidence side, you could see this game being tied after the first quarter and then New York up by two or three in the second half or going into the second half. And from there, DC gets a break chance and all of a sudden New York says, you know what, it's time to kind of step on things. And so I expect this to be a good game through three quarters. 
unless New York is just playing their A-plus game and they are just ready for these moments. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of adversity, some Hucks hang. Um, getting Farrah for DC, adding him to the roster is interesting because he had more size and they're going to need that, especially against the likes of Jeff Babbitt. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that really has enough size to deal with Jeff Babbitt anyways, but you, you try your best. Uh, so defensively, definitely hope for Troy Holland to be healthy. Farrah is going to be interesting. Musa Jaw is going to, I think, play a big role. And it's do they have, can they find a line of defenders that can get it done? Because it's a long game. And I don't think they can just rely on their offense to pitch a perfect game. I don't think they can rely on their offense to go out and have a legendary five turnover performance that's going to get them into the championship weekend. But we'll see. I'm saying it might take that legendary performance and something on defense. That's just how good this New York team is. Uh, but look, that's why they play the games, right? It's, uh, can't, can't win championships on paper. Uh, so let's move out west. Um, another team that has been pretty dominant this season, the Colorado Summit uh, hosting the Salt Lake Shred. Uh, both of these teams' first appearance in their uh, division championship, seeing it is as seeing as it is both of their first ever seasons. Uh, very exciting for the West Coast. Uh, Jay Frude coming back for Colorado. Uh, he had a, I think it was a hamstring issue. Uh, he's been out for about a month. Um, he's been to five of the past six championship weekends uh, between Dallas and Madison. Um, and you also have, you know, Jonathan Nethercutt, Matt Jackson adding some valuable experience. So I think, you know, Colorado definitely has a bit of an advantage here. They're two point favorites at home. Um, but Salt Lake is coming off this emotional, exciting win. Um, Alex Atkins right now, not on the roster for Colorado. He's been a big difference maker for them on offense. Uh, so I, th- I think it's right to have Colorado as a favorite, but I don't think it's out of the question that Salt Lake pulls off the upset here. Yeah, I think Colorado is the favorite. I think they, they control more possessions better. They've proven they're the better team throughout the regular season. And I see an opportunity for Salt Lake, but I just don't think that their punches are going to be as effective as it was against San Diego. And there's a lot of smart people on the Colorado team. I think Quinn Finer's having an incredible season. Nethercut has had a really good season as well. And expect this game to be close with a striking distance for Salt Lake. But you got to give them, I think, about a 20% chance to win. I think, I think their, their dream first season comes to a close here. Yeah, I think a 20% chance is about right. I mean, I think, look, Salt Lake just proved it against San Diego. If they can go on one of those runs where they just have so much energy and all the control and they can swing off, it's Colorado's maybe like three, four points in a row, maybe not six. You know, that could be the difference in a game like this. Um, and I think, you know, if I'm Salt Lake, definitely wary of having, you know, Nethercut as a quarterback and turning this into a huck fest and just straight up losing it. Uh, but I think that's the way that they need to play. And that strategy worked against San Diego. It's worked for them all regular season. Uh, I guess it hasn't beaten Colorado yet. That's their only two losses this year. But they need to be playing fast and loose. I feel like if I'm Salt Lake, I can't try to tighten things up now in the, you know, most important game of the season. I sort of got to ride and die with what's worked for us so far. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. There's there's always these moments where one of my favorite phrases that my co-coach Ben Van Hoovlin would use is, you know, we got to start looking at our bugs as features now. We we are a team that turns it over a lot, but we're also a team that is going to shoot deep a lot and kind of inspire fear in the opposition. And I think there are some tweaks available to this team to probably do between now and then, but you're right. In a lot of ways, their identity is what it is. It's hard to be something different drastically when you're being used to playing a certain style. And they it's one of those things where if it's not working through the first half, you're going to have to find some nice alternative plan B that everybody feels comfortable going to. So the question is, can they make that adjustment? Can they do that going forward? Or is their plan A just going to be so good enough that they'll find a way to, you know, not have that 20% chance, but flip the script. It, they have athletes, but so does Colorado. And typically when you rush, like match up against another team that's like at least as athletic as you are and pretty close, it means those punches aren't going to be surprising. Like This Colorado offense means they face it in practice all the time. They see that type of athleticism. So they're not going to be intimidated by it. And yeah, I, I don't know. 
what tweaks they're going to be able to make to really put themselves in a situation. But when you have Jordan Kerr playing through a broken nose, maybe that's all you'll need. <laughs> that was a uh, that was a fun play from that Salt Lake game. Jordan Kerr caught like a, a tip tuck and fell on his nose, and then came back for the next offensive point. Uh, of course, that was after they they ran off a I think it was like five breaks in a row between the two, so he had a moment to recover. Um, but Jordan said he'll be active and playing this game, so we'll see how you know. I don't think he'll be too limited. Um, I it, it is interesting as the way this Salt Lake team is constructed. Uh, you know, between Kerr and Jacob Miller and Sean Canoli and uh, uh, Joe Merrill, I was totally blanked on his name there for a second. Uh, they have a lot of really talented athletes and talented throwers. They don't really have the kind of like stand and deliver hub handler that Jonathan Nethercutt represents for Colorado. I think it's an interesting contrast in styles where, you know, you're not going to see Nethercutt really leave the backfield much and he'll always be around there for Colorado. Really same with Matt Jackson there for their offense. Um, And Salt Lake's offense is a little more in motion, a little less predictable. Um, And if they're able to make that work and able to keep up in a shootout like that, great, amazing. Uh, But you're right that I really, you know, Colorado can play the run and shoot fast paced offense the same that Salt Lake can. And they also can slow down and play possession with Nut back there in a way that I don't know that Shred has that plan B. Yeah. It's, we'll have to see. They've got a good coaching staff. They've got good athletes. They've got good young talent. It's just a question of, and you just don't know this unless you're really on the inside. What are they feeling? How are they feeling about this game? Are they feeling like we just got to play our game and we're going to be fine? And that sometimes is a good thing to have and a good feeling to have going in, but sometimes it's a little bit lying to yourself. And the question is, what substantial tweaks can you make? Are there any? Or are you just going to ride or die? And that's a choice for them internally to figure out. You've had a really successful season. It wouldn't be a shame if it ended now, but it'd be really great if you could find a way to to win this one for both squads. Kind of a dream season for both teams, dream inaugural. So one of them's going to championship weekend. Just a question of who. Definitely, which is you know really exciting and really exciting for both their fan bases, who I you know I think have done a really great job supporting those teams all season. I'll be interested to see how many of the Shred fans end up traveling to Colorado. It's a, it's a bit of a drive. It's like an eight-hour drive, something like that. Um, but even when I went to the Shred game down in Southern California, they had fans there. So uh, it would be very interesting to watch. And I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if sort of like it was last weekend, this is the most exciting game of the weekend, even if it's not, you know, pure ultimate the best game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we do have one more game to talk about. Um, the Central Division Championship rematch of last year. Uh, Minnesota playing at Chicago. Uh, quick recap in 2021, you know, Minnesota came in, was up big, and uh, Chicago closed out on a 5 nothing run to end it uh, and take their place at Championship Weekend. Uh, this year, uh, Chicago has won twice in Minnesota. Minnesota's won once in Chicago. Um, just an interesting back and forth. Uh, Minnesota has pretty much the same roster they had last weekend. I think Michael Jordan is out. He'll be replaced by Colin Berry. Um, it's both two great players there. Uh, Chicago has a pretty interesting roster for this game. Uh, no Eli Armakis, who's been a big player for them the past few years. Um, but Joe White, who's only played in two games this year. Paul Arters, who's only played in four games this year. Dalton Smith, who's played in three games this year. And Tim Schock, who's just played in two games this year, are all back for this game. Uh, so really a, a full-strength Chicago, although we'll see how well-practiced they are. Yeah, it's super interesting because the Chicago team has talents and talent in spades. And so does Minnesota, but Chicago's won without that this season in a lot of ways. Nate Goff's been incredible. Like you said, Eli Artemakis has been really steady in the backfield. And Pavel's been Pavel. And so you're adding all these pieces in, and you're going, okay, what are we going to get? Like, what, what does this mean? And, and a lot of those players kind of play all together and, and figure out a way to get the job done. But you got to figure out what roles they're going to take and who's going to be replaced and who's going to play where. And it's just not as good for a team as if you've been able to do it throughout the entire season. So can Dave Woods put them all in position to succeed? No doubt. They're talented enough to do that. But it's not ideal. And so it's kind of interesting because, again, you're kind of zooming in on this. 
Like, how does the leadership feel for Minnesota? How do they feel coming into this game after blowing the lead last year? It's important to have a short memory. It's important to feel like this is a new team. You And it should. You have a lot more talent. But it's just so many different things and variables of how does this game go? We, I feel like we have no idea. I feel like this is a pick'em game. You take maybe Chicago because they've been home and they've won the first couple of games. But I really would just throw out all the results. I, I could see Minnesota winning convincingly. I could see Chicago winning convincingly. I, I'm struggling to find a take where it's like I figure out how this game goes because they've been windy in the past, depending on how the weather is going to be coming into this game. There could be a lot of turnovers. There could be an, two offenses that are battling and holding and then defense is trying to figure it out. This is going to be a wild one, and it's going to be a good one to finish with on Sunday. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. Where I'm struggling to think exactly. I mean, the Chicago's favored by one and a half points. Uh, they're at home. I I can see this game going either way. I think it's interesting. I think Minnesota, we talked about this last week, has more versatility in their talent. And you know, they have Bivon who can play both ways. You have Abe Coffin who's turned into this like d-line star after playing the past few years as a focal point of an offense and you know you have players like you know andrew roy and tony paletto who are really really good at, at holding possession and can play that way um and you also have your josh claims and your will brands and your cold jerks of the world who can you know hit the deep shots and play a little faster a little looser uh so it's I think Minnesota has more options to win the game. I think Chicago maybe has more on-paper talent. Uh, but the fact that they haven't played together in this way in this much, you know, and, and Joe White also just himself, you know, playing this game is, is a bit of a wild card to me. I mean, he's the kind of player who I'm looking at, you know, his two games this year combined, he has eight assists, two goals. Um, he did play one game, the win in uh, Minnesota. Um We've also seen him have clunkers of games where he's throwing, you know, five turnovers. And you you can't expect that, uh, especially if you're in Minnesota. But, you know, from an outside perspective, it's tough to tell exactly which way this game is going to go. Um, really, you know, can't be as sure as we want to, I think, about the Chicago offense. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be unsure about. I think Minnesota has been unproven. Chicago, for the reasons you've listed. There's something I love about the grid of Chicago, though. There's something about just the way they emotionally play that speaks to me. Tim Shock is a dog on defense. Just the ability to go out and make plays. Nate Goff is playing his best ultimate there is. For sure. And, you know, they're going to have options to figure out a way to navigate through this. And they've been experienced doing it before. And so, I wouldn't be shocked to see Minnesota win the game. I'd give Chicago maybe a 55-60% chance of winning this. But I'm going to go with Chicago. All right. Well, I guess that'll, that'll transition into our, our pick segment here. We didn't. We talked about who we think should be favored. I don't know if we made formal picks uh, for the games earlier. Um, I think I'm going to stick with my preseason pick here. I think Minnesota comes away with it, but it's close. I mean, Minnesota has you know some experience past years winning some funky end of quarter situations. I could see Minnesota pulling this out by one point. So maybe I'll I'll take. I guess I'll yeah I'll just take Minnesota wins and Chicago's favored. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Chicago, like I said. All right. Uh, moving backwards then. Uh, Colorado, uh, two-point favorite at home against Salt Lake. Who you got? Uh, I think I'd take Colorado cover. I like I like their ability to navigate through the Salt Lake defense, and I think Colorado is the team going to championship weekend. Uh, I agree with you on that one for sure. Uh, you got New York minus four and a half at home against D.C. New York's going to win. But it's a question by how much. And I would pick New York by three or four. But I could see them in the right moments covering if they've just if they've gone out to a big lead, I could see DC being demoralized, knowing that this is their season. Oh man. Yeah, why not? Let's pick New York to cover. Wow. All right. I'll pick DC to cover. I I don't really see them winning. I'm really tempted here. That was my preseason pick, and I, I really expected them to to take where they were last year and where I think they probably deserve to make championship weekend and, and level it up a little bit. Uh, we just haven't seen that from them. So I don't think they have quite the firepower to take down New York. Um, so I'll pick New York to win, but DC to cover. 
Um, that brings us to our last matchup, Carolina one and a half point favorites at home against Austin. I think this one's the easiest game of the weekend to pick. I think Carolina covers. So you think that's easier to pick than DC, New York. You, you were still hemming and on over whether DC could pull this out that much. I just don't think Austin can pull it off. And yeah, I, I, I think DC is a better team than Austin. Austin sure. has pulled it off though. Austin. Yeah, at home and a Texas back-to-back. Flyers are missing some people. It's the playoffs. We saw this last year with Carolina where they went, you know, had a, I don't want to say mediocre, but a, a below standard regular season. And the playoffs came around and they turned it on and beat DC and beat Chicago and beat New York. I think Carolina is about to turn it on. I think Carolina is going to go ahead and kind of have a commanding performance. I don't, I don't think it's going to be necessarily dominating, but. I think they'll lead from start to finish and and probably come away winning by three. So yeah, I'll pick them to cover two. All right. Well, that'll do it for our divisional round playoff picks. Um, Let us know what you think we got right, what we got wrong. Uh, You can hit us up at stall seven on Twitter. Uh, If you're an old two world subscriber, you can message us in the old two world discord. Um, We can also, you know, find the two of us on on Twitter, on email. Um, All that information is up on the site. I want to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, You'll hear from us again next week with a recap of these four exciting games. And by that point, we'll have a championship weekend preview. That's really, really exciting to hear. Um, Brian, before we log off, do you have any any closing thoughts for us? I'll be at the New York DC game. If anybody's there, come say hi. Sounds good. Um, I am really excited. I think this will be probably the best weekends of games that we've had this year. I mean, all four of them, even just talking through our you can see ways for all eight teams to win, even if maybe some of them have better chances than others. Um, so after what, I don't want to say a lackluster by any means, um, but, a, a, you know, a regular season where we saw the favorites emerged, I think it like we're at the, the cream of the crop here. Uh, so I'm excited to see how this one plays out. Um, that'll do it for this week. For Brian, I'm Alex. Thank you so much for listening and you'll hear from us again soon.